Welcome to Drug Safety Matters, a podcast by Uppsala Monitoring Center, where we explore current issues in pharmacovigilance and patient safety. This episode is part of the Uppsala Reports Long Reads series, where we select the most topical stories from our magazine, Uppsala Reports, and bring them to you in audio format. Our pick for today is Into the Infodemic, Countering COVID's Medicine Myths. The article was published online in December 2020 and will soon appear in print in issue 84 of the magazine. In a pandemic, it's not just the virus that goes viral. As COVID-19 spread around the world last year, so did waves of viral misinformation, which prompted some people to self-medicate with dire results. Marco Tuccori works as pharmacovigilance manager at the University Hospital of Pisa in Italy. In his article for Uppsala Reports, he explains how fighting the infodemic is a massive but necessary battle that the pharmacovigilance community cannot shy away from. After the read, I ask Marco a few questions about pandemic-related communications, so stay tuned till the end. But now, let's dive into the article. Here's Into the Infodemic, written by Marco Tuccori and read by me, Federica Santoro, and my colleague Matthew Barwick. The word viral entered common language in recent years to indicate a piece of communication that, regardless of its format, quickly spread to a large number of people, generally by social media sharing. The 2020 COVID-19 pandemic has not only made us rediscover the original meaning of viral, but also elevated the concept of viral communication to what we would call an infodemic. The infodemic bears the pandemic's characteristics of speed and a huge number of people reached, but adds an amount of information of unprecedented magnitude. The implications and consequences of this infodemic have been many probably some still undiscovered. Certainly, they have affected all sectors of human activities, and pharmacovigilance has not been spared. Indeed, a good percentage of the viral information has concerned the drugs and other potential treatments for the new disease, finding fertile ground in a frightened population, possibly influencing their behavior. Uncontrolled information on drugs has also reached opinion leaders, who have often amplified it in the most disparate directions, sometimes for their own political or economic interests. Some of the most serious consequences were observed in the first phase of the disease during the second quarter of 2020, when uncertainty and panic reached their peak. People had begun to look with hope at every treatment highlighted on the web, without necessarily understanding the scientific evidence supporting its use, and without distinguishing between preventive use in healthy subjects and treatment in sick ones. The rush to purchase products that promised a benefit was inevitable, seemingly often outside the control of prescribers and with sometimes extreme consequences. The most emblematic case was that of chloroquine hydroxychloroquine, 
A much-criticized study with many methodological limitations conducted in France on a small population had reported some benefit of these drugs for COVID-19 patients. In the United States, the products were promoted by social communicators and opinion leaders to such an extent that a healthy man, trying to protect himself from infection, died after ingesting a fish tank-cleaning product that included chloroquine phosphate among ingredients on the label. Another broader consequence was a depletion of stocks, resulting in a shortage of drugs for patients who relied on it for conventional indications such as lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. In South America, one of the protagonists of the infodemic was ivermectin, a medication used for parasitic infections, easily available in pharmacies and commonly used for veterinary treatments. A potential efficacy for ivermectin had been postulated, but at concentrations that could only be reached in humans at the cost of severe neurological and liver toxicity. On the other side of the coin, the infodemic has also jeopardized the required use of drugs, where concerns have been raised about a possible increased COVID-19-related risk. For example, in the case of certain antihypertensive drugs, some regulatory agencies felt the need to specifically inform and reassure patients and urge them not to suspend life-saving treatments without medical supervision. In these scenarios, in which the infodemic panic could have negative effects on the appropriate use of drugs, pharmacovigilance organizations have had to work on various fronts to defend and possibly restore safer practices. The first challenge is precisely that of communication. Aiming for capillary control and possibly mitigation of circulating information that may promote the inappropriate use of drugs such as abuse, misuse and overdose without adequate evidence of benefit, or avoidance without adequate evidence of harm. In addition to this, regulatory authorities and pharmacovigilance centers have often had to create corrective communication, acting as an information reference point for the media and the population. To be successful, this type of communication strategy depends heavily on social media. In Italy, for example, the European country that was first surprised and struck hard by the pandemic, many pharmacovigilance centers have focused their communication particularly on Facebook, providing almost weekly updates, information and recommendations on potential drugs to treat COVID-19. The information they used was selected from reliable sources, such as regulatory agencies, or was otherwise based on available scientific evidence. Given the potential risks associated with self-medication, the main communication targets of many pharmacovigilance activities in the pandemic have been patients, with an emphasis on the reporting of adverse events. In this context, poison centers, perhaps underused under normal conditions for pharmacovigilance activities, represent an additional source of data to measure the behavior of the patients themselves. Poison control centers have been used in the past for active pharmacovigilance projects in several countries, proving to be an excellent observatory for the identification of medication errors. This has been even more evident during the pandemic. 
For example, in the United States, there has been an increase in access to poison centers for problems related to excessive use and misuse of detergents and disinfectants. As a result of this, several institutions have recommended caution in the use of these products to avoid exposure related to inappropriate uses. The most recent wave of the infodemic is focused on new vaccines. Our ability to quickly acquire herd immunity to viral information about vaccination programs will depend on effective communication, especially on issues of safety. The speed with which these vaccines were developed can easily be perceived by many people to be synonymous with superficiality and controls compared to a standard situation. This misunderstanding is fueled by some anti-vaccination and other generic disinformation sources in all media and must be fought not only with correct information, but also with transparent monitoring strategies of immunized subjects. Unfortunately, experience teaches us that it is very difficult to change dangerous behaviors based on deeply rooted beliefs or political affiliations by simply disseminating correct information. But the choice of communication strategy can make a difference. In general, the success of fake news seems to be based on communication that uses simple language often with strong graphic or photographic elements, which influences people by leveraging frustration and stimulating resentment. This strategy aims to develop negative empathy towards pro-vaccine antagonists, often ascribing sinister or mercenary motives, and positive empathy towards the alleged victims of vaccination who provide testimonials. But empathy can also be a powerful tool to counter misinformation and help communicate corrective information to the public. Testimonials from those harmed by bad information and dangerous behaviors can be used to help spread responsible information. The story of Olivia Dahl, daughter of writer Roald Dahl, author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and other novels, is a powerful example often used to support measles vaccination. He recounted his daughter's death from measles-related complications in this way. As the illness took its usual course, I can remember reading to her often in bed and not feeling particularly alarmed about it. Then one morning, when she was well on the road to recovery, I was sitting on her bed showing her how to fashion little animals out of coloured pipe cleaners. And when it came to her turn to make one herself, I noticed that her fingers and her mind were not working together and she couldn't do anything. Are you feeling all right? I asked her. I feel all sleepy, she said. In an hour, she was unconscious. In 12 hours, she was dead. I was unable to do that for Olivia in 1962 because in those days a reliable measles vaccine had not been discovered. While countering misinformation, pharmacovigilance must also continue its primary role. In a pandemic situation where extraordinary speed is required, we still must ensure, with our usual scientific rigor, the safety of drugs used in COVID-19 treatment and prevention. This includes monitoring patients receiving existing medicines usually used in other indications, as well as those receiving completely novel and sometimes complex treatments, such as antivirals, monoclonal antibodies, 
antibodies, convalescent plasma and, last but not least, vaccines. It is possible that the communication strategies we use against this viral infodemic will fail, in whole or in part, and that many people will continue to be exposed to risky behaviours. But this should not make pharmacovigilance organisations and experts relax their efforts to provide responsible, correct information. For example, the simple promotion of adverse reaction reporting systems could be an effective approach to raise awareness of the safe use of drugs in the population. And any clear, correct information we produce can be leveraged by other health professionals in their communications. Whatever the scenario, it is certain that pharmacovigilance will continue to have an essential role in public pandemic-related communications. Hi, Marco, and welcome to Drug Safety Matters. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Since you're based at a hospital, you work as pharmacovigilance manager at the University Hospital of Pisa in Italy. You must have plenty of first-hand experience of the problems that occur when people self-medicate or they engage in other kinds of harmful behaviors as a consequence of believing misinformation. Can you give me some of those examples that you've witnessed perhaps in your daily work at the hospital? Well, I must confess that during the pandemic, uh, we received not very much uh, reports of uh, such kind of uh, issues. I remember that we received some reports of people with hypertension uh, from the emergency department uh, where they complain problem of hypertension because they suspended their ACE inhibitor uh, because at that time the communication about this drug was that these drugs can have detrimental effects uh, on uh, COVID-19 infection. But what I can remember is that at that time we uh, received several calls at the phone of people asking for information about hydroxychloroquine because, of course, uh, uh, there were a lot of communication presenting this drug as a medical drug in, uh, in, uh, in COVID-19. And I think that uh, we were somehow lucky because uh, people, instead of acting impulsively, preferred to call information center to receive uh, some uh, information about the drug uh, they were thinking to take uh, to prevent uh, COVID-19. Uh, you know, uh, what I remarked in my article is that uh, one of the problems was that uh, people consider prevention in the same way of a treatment. And therefore, this, of course, uh, should have caused several problems in, in healthy people uh, without any kind of symptoms uh, at the time. But uh, uh, we make a check, of course, uh, for more or less all the problems that you have described in the article. And uh, we found that there was not an increase uh, in the report of uh, the drugs that were in the eye of the storm. And mm, there was not an increase in the severity of such a report. So I think that uh, somehow people consider uh, the problem with collusion and did not act impulsively. Now, in the article, you mention how to use empathy rather than just contrary information to counteract misinformation. Can you give me some examples of that kind of empathic uh, communication, especially related to the pandemic? 
Well, you know, empathy is an incredibly powerful strategy to condition people's behavior. But unfortunately, it can be used in any direction. So uh, it depends on the interest of the communicators. In the case of pandemic, uh, uh, the best way to stimulate a positive behavior, for instance, uh, supporting the use of protection tools or uh, and washing, social distancing, uh, maybe it was that of showing and presenting or describing whatever experiences from real life of people suffering due to the disease. This could be made in forms of graphic or in written form. An example could be picture of people forced in mechanical ventilation in intensive care units or picture of healthcare professionals working in overcharging hospitals or even stories told by people who lost relatives due to COVID-19 or stories by recovered people about their experience in intensive care units. But now we are facing a situation that I think it is quite harder to manage, which is that of the death of patients following vaccine administration. I think that people interested in producing detrimental effects on the attitude to vaccination are exploiting empathy uh, with stories of persons with their relatives died a few days after vaccine administrations, you know. But if I have to think to uh, a strategy, an empathic strategy that can counter such kind of communication, I think that, for instance, we could show vaccinated elderly people that can embrace their relatives after months of quarantine. And I'll ask you more about vaccines in a second. But first, I was wondering, since you uh, work as pharmacovigilance manager at a hospital, you must have scientific responsibilities, but also administrative and communication responsibilities. Now, has the COVID-19 pandemic changed the balance of your work? And I'm thinking, has it especially called on you and your team to engage more in communication or to think more creatively? Creatively, perhaps, about communication? Yes, uh, pandemic changes uh, a lot the balance uh, of uh, my work. You must consider that my hospital is uh, hosting the um, pharmacovigilance center of the Tuscan region. And therefore, we need to address the communication not only to the hospital and to people working in the hospital or accessing the hospital, but to the entire population of the region, which is about 3,600,000 people. The health authority of the region created different task forces to prepare emergency plan. There was not an emergency plan because the pandemic was totally unexpected. And pharmacovigilance was involved in several of these plans. And these plans include, of course, communication plans, but also plans, for instance, for stimulating spontaneous reporting of adverse events following immunization to make these processes easier for users of uh, healthcare facilities uh, in the regions. And we had to rethink our strategy of communication. And this strategy have had to be extremely dynamic to face a uh, new situation every day. We can make again the example of vaccine uh, and the AstraZeneca vaccine because of what happened very recently with the uh, suspension of the vaccine, more or less by all the European regulatory authority. In particular, we have implemented a lot uh, our communication using social media. So Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. 
Well, I think that uh, social media are likely the most effective way today to communicate something because of the possibility of achieving a large number of users uh, with uh, just one post. So I think that uh, even regulatory authorities must exploit uh, social media to achieve effective communication. I always thought that uh, risk communication in Italy was somehow neglected or superficially considered. But I think also that uh, with the current challenge, uh, something has changed or something will change in the near future. For instance, we need to implement uh, the teaching of uh, risk communication in, uh, in the course of medicine or in other related graduation courses uh, to students. And I think that myself, uh, I'm going to update uh, my uh, lessons plan for students attending my courses uh, of pharmacovigilance uh, in the next years. That's really good to hear. Risk communication is probably the greatest challenge for pharmacovigilance professionals, and we've all come to realize that last year. Um, One final question before I let you go. Your article was written before any of the COVID-19 vaccines were rolled out. And so that's why you focused it mostly on COVID-19 therapies. What has changed since then? And you touched upon this a little bit in your previous answers. But could you tell me what keeps you awake at night now? What are the most pressing issues in pharmacovigilance communication nowadays? Uh, The the problem of uh, death following vaccine administration is uh, the most relevant topic of communication at the moment. Uh, You know, in recent days, uh, almost all European regulatory agencies, including Italy, Germany, France, Spain, decided to suspend the use of AstraZeneca vaccine for COVID-19 because of possible fatal events of clotting and thrombosis uh, developed in a period that is at least temporarily close to the vaccine administration. Well, in my opinion, this risk minimization strategy is a little exaggerated given the available information. However, what I have seen in many newspapers, uh, titles that can be summarized as uh, patients diet for clotting problems after vaccine administration, which can be easily read by people as uh, patients diet for clotting problems due to vaccine administration. You know, and even journal that I consider high quality journal in terms of journalism, of course, uh, did not resist to use uh, a sensationalistic title, but a scary title, not only sensationalistic, that was AstraZeneca Fear in Europe. You no, know, it seems like a, the title of an horror movie. You know, that this title had high probability of becoming viral in social media and achieving a large number and reach large number of users. So I think that uh, in terms of communication and consequent behavior, there are two orders of outcomes that we can expect. The first is the, uh, the most obvious. No? Many people who booked their vaccine injection decided to withdraw their booking. And this started when the first agency, the Danish one, announced that they have suspended the use of AstraZeneca vaccination. We have seen here in my hospital that a lot of people have announced the decision of uh, withdrawal, the booking for receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine. The second uh, is a little trickier because I expect that people vaccinated with this vaccine 
putting that, uh, taking an anti-clotting drugs or an, even an anti-platter drugs such as heparins or even warfarin or even other oral anticoagulants could prevent any thrombotic risk. So in this way, if they decided to took spontaneously these drugs, they will expose themselves to an unnecessary risk of bleeding. So in my opinion, this could be a problem. We should consider, particularly in the next week, that will require a further implementation of the communication strategy. In Italy, we have already faced a similar emergency in communication in 2014, after the withdrawal of a batch of an influenza vaccine, because of the rapport of three fatal cases. The consequence of such a decision was that many people refused any flu vaccine in that year, in 2014, and probably in the years after. And we don't know whether this had consequences on the number of deaths due to influenza in that year. And this, despite, at that time, the agency, after making the opportune investigation, declared that there were not a problem with that batch. So we are in a very similar situation. But we must consider that uh, the public opinion is at the moment extremely more sensitive than in 2014. And uh, we must uh, also consider that uh, apparently we have not learned the lesson from, from that uh, case. We are into a pandemic with a thousand people dying every day for the disease. And we must reconsider our idea of benefit-risk balance uh, in the light of this situation. And I think when approaching the vaccine, that being not vaccinated is extremely more dangerous than being vaccinated. Thank you, Marco. There's a lot of interesting points there that our listeners can think about. I thank you for your time and I wish you and the other pharmacovigilance professionals around the world best of luck in these extremely challenging, but also, may I say, intellectually stimulating times. Thank you for your interest in my work. And I think we need a lot of luck for the, for the near future to handle the current situation. Thank you very much. That's all for now, but we'll be back soon with more long reads, as well as our usual conversations with medicine safety experts. In the meantime, check out the episode's show notes or visit UppsalaReports.org to learn more about the infodemic. If you'd like stories like this one delivered straight to your inbox every month, sign up for our free newsletter at UppsalaReports.org slash subscribe. If you like our podcast, subscribe to it in your favorite player so you won't miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a review so other listeners can find us. Any comments or suggestions for the show are welcome. Look for Uppsala Monitoring Center on Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter and come talk to us there. For Drug Safety Matters, I'm Federica Santoro. I'd like to thank Marco Tuccori for the interview, Matthew Barwick for post-production support and of course you for listening. Till next time.